What's up? This is Lex with What's Next with Lex podcast. Today I want to read from John Maxwell's Winning with People. I've already read the first chapter and I thought it was really great. Um, Today I want to read from the second chapter, which is called The Mirror Principle. The subtitle is The First Person We Must Examine Is Ourselves. The book reads, Have you ever known someone who has his own worst enemy, who always managed to short-circuit himself when success was within reach? or could not seem to hold down a job? Some of these people possess great potential but keep blowing themselves up, but not everyone with these kinds of issues is a person who can't get ahead in life. Sometimes people who are their own worst enemies achieve big things while slowly chipping away at themselves and their relationship with others. I believe Pete Rose is one such person, a Rose by any other name. When it comes to playing baseball, few people compare to Pete Rose. Here are just a few of his major league baseball records. Most career hits, 4,256, most games played, 3,562, most at-bats, 14,053, most total bases by a switch hitter, 5,752, most seasons of 200 or more hits, 10, most seasons with 600 or more at-bats, 17, National League record for most career runs, 2,165, National League record for most years played, 24. Rose, who was a Gold Glove outfielder for two seasons, also had received numerous awards. He was named the National League Rookie of the Year, the National League Most Valuable Player, and the World Series MVP. But while Pete Rose was succeeding on the baseball field, he was failing in other areas of life. Specifically, the thing that was causing chaos in his personal life and that would eventually end his baseball career was gambling. Ever since the World Series betting scandal in the early 1900s, Major League Baseball has worked to keep gambling out of the sport. In every Major League Baseball clubhouse in the United States, Rule 21D is posted where players and coaches can see it. The rule states, Any player, umpire, or club, or league official, or employee who shall bet on any sum whatsoever upon any baseball game in connection with which the better has no duty to perform shall be declared ineligible for one year. Wow. Any player, umpire, or club, or league official, or employee who shall bet any sum whatsoever upon any baseball game in connection with which the better has a duty to perform shall be declared permanently ineligible. Pete Rose must have walked past that posted rule at least 3,562 times as a player because that's how many games he played in. He saw it at least an additional 554 times as a manager, yet he still bet on baseball. And in January 2004, after denying it for 14 years, Rose finally admitted to betting on baseball, including making bets on his own team, the Cincinnati Reds. Blind spot. When Pete Rose began betting on baseball in 1987, he said he didn't even consider the consequences. Perhaps it was just a natural next step in his progression as a compulsive gambler, a label that Rose vehemently says he does does not describe himself. But what else could you call a person who bet year-round on various sporting activities, but who apparently could not stop gambling even when it might cost him his livelihood, and who spent mind-boggling sums on bets? Bookmaker Ron Peters testified that he took more than $1 million in bets from Rose just on baseball, just in one season. How could Rose not see what was happening to him? Why didn't he keep himself from gambling on baseball? How could he continue to lie about what he had done for more than a decade? How could he say that his only real problem was the friends he picked? How could he continue to say that he didn't have a problem? I believe the answer is that he was focused so intently on baseball that he never really looked in the mirror and examined himself. 
Take a good look. Rose realized he was different from other players, but he rarely stopped to reflect on whether that was positive or a negative thing. He says, Joe Morgan, Rose's former teammate who is now in the Hall of Fame, used to say that he felt sorry for me because when baseball was all over, I would, no have, I would have nothing else in my life to occupy my time. I never understood Joe's way of thinking. I always thought he was somehow less committed than me, that, that he didn't love the game as much as I did. Who in his right mind could ever put anything in life ahead of baseball? While Rose was playing, his refusal to examine himself didn't hurt his career, although it did damage his personal relationships. But once his playing days were over, it caught up with him. Rose states, In hindsight, I should have taken some time to reflect on my life, on where I'd been and where I was headed. If I had been a book reader, I could have read up on other famous folks and how they handled retirement. I could have called Dick Butkiss and asked how he felt about retiring from the NFL after achieving godlike status as a player. I could have called Terry Bradshaw, but I didn't find out any of them dealt with retirement because I never talked to them. I never talked to anybody. It wasn't my style. So, so far, actually, this is a break from the book. I just want to point this out. So far, we've got denial and isolation in Pete Rose's life, which is never good. Back to the book. In one of his rare moments of reflection and genuine self-assessment, Rose sums up the way he handled himself. I was aware of my records and my place in baseball history, but I was never aware of boundaries or able to control that part of my life. And admitting that I was out of control has been next to impossible for me. I was aware of my privileges, but not my responsibilities. In my opinion, he's still struggling to figure out what his responsibilities are. That's very hard to do when you don't like looking in the mirror. The mirror test. People unaware of who they are and what they do often damage relationships with others. Wow. Just breaking away from the book right there. That says a lot. It says, I'm going to read it again. It says, people unaware of who they are and what they do often damage relationships with others. And what that says to me is like they may think that they're okay in their own right and are fine because they're unaware. But they're, ob they're obviously damaging people around them and they have no idea because they're not looking at who they really are. Back to the book. The way to change that is to look in the mirror. It's something all of us must do. It's what I call taking the mirror test. Consider these truths that we must learn about ourselves. The first person I must know is myself. Self-awareness. Human nature seems to endow people with the ability to size up everybody in the world but themselves. Pete Rose does not have a clear image of himself. He tends to think of himself as a victim. Rose has described himself as a kid from the wrong side of the tracks and as someone who got by with only average athletic talent. And he thinks that the punishment he has received, being banned from baseball, does not fit the crime. Some people are endowed with natural self-awareness. Thomas Armstrong, author of Seven Kinds of Smart, points out that these kinds of people possess intrapersonal intelligence. However, becoming self-aware does not come easily for most people. It is a process, sometimes a slow one, that requires intentionality. And I would say consistency, too, just to add to that. The first person I must get along with is myself. Self-image. Author Sidney J. Harris observed, If you're not comfortable with yourself, you can't be comfortable with others. Well, that'll preach. <laughs> Back to the book, I would take that one step further. If you do not believe in yourself, you will sabotage your relationships. Wow. For years, I have taught a concept called the Law of the Lid, which is found in the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. It states, leadership ability determines a person's level of effectiveness. Here's what I mean by that. No matter how hard you work, you can only go so far professionally if you are a poor leader. 
A company, department, or team will always be held back by a weak leader. When it comes to relationships, self-image works in a similar way. It is the relational lid. Your image of yourself restricts your ability to build healthy relationships. A negative self-image will even keep a person from being successful. And even when a person with a poor self-image does somehow achieve success, it won't last because he will eventually bring himself down to the level of his own expectations. Wow. Just to break away from the book for real quick, it said, and even when a person with a poor self-image does somehow achieve success, it sounds like by chance, it won't last because he will eventually bring himself down to the level of his own expectations. So you actually have something in your head that is like something that you're attracted to from the law of attraction that you think is like what you deserve and who you are, and you'll eventually make your way to that. So your self-image and your expectations of yourself in yourself are going to come out unless you work on them and change it. It's very powerful. Back to the book. In a backward sort of way, it's a tribute to Pete Rose's self-confidence that his lack of self-awareness didn't catch up with him sooner. Psychologist and New York Times bestselling author Phil McGraw states, I, have always, I always say that the most important relationship you will ever have is with yourself. You've got to be your own best friend first. How can you be best friends with someone you don't know or you don't like? You can't. That's why it's important to find out who you are and work to become someone you like and respect. Wow, this is great. The first person to cause me problems is myself. Self-honesty. Comedian Jack Parr quipped, Looking back, my life seems like one big obstacle race, with me being the chief obstacle. He was making a joke, but what he says is still true for most of us. Pete Rose isn't alone in his ability to cause problems for himself. That's an issue for me, and it is for you too. If we could kick the personal responsibility if we could kick the person responsible for most of our troubles, we wouldn't be able to sit down for weeks. What can save us in the willingness to look in the mirror and get honest about our shortcomings, faults, and problems? A couple of years after I graduated from college, I had lunch with a friend who had been a fellow student. Like me, he was in his first job as a pastor of a small church. As we ate, he began talking to me about the people in his congregation. He said he had a problem with this ding-a-ling on his church board, and with that ding-a-ling in committee meetings, and with another ding-a-ling, he was counseling. After about the fifth ding-a-ling, I was getting irritated. How can you lead people when you don't like or respect them, I thought. Fred, do you want to know why you have so many ding-a-lings in your church, I asked. He stopped eating and said with great interest, yeah, I really would. It's because you're the biggest ding-a-ling of them all. He was shocked. Perhaps that was not my finest hour relationally because Fred wasn't much interested in my explanation after I said that. But it was an obvious to an outsider that Fred was the problem. It wasn't long afterward that he left his church and went to another one, and it didn't take long for him to think that his new church was filled with dinglings too. Surprise. <laughs> Ralph Steyer, CEO and owner of Johnsonville Foods, acknowledges, This is the insight I realized early and return to often. In most situations, I am the problem. My mentalities, my pictures, my expectations form the biggest obstacles to my success. If you want to keep from becoming your own worst enemy, you have to look at yourself realistically. The first person I must change is myself. Self-improvement. A danger of teaching conferences or writing books like this one is that people start to assume you're an expert who has mastered everything you teach. Don't believe it. Like you, I am still working on my relational and leadership skills. There are principles in this book that I don't do well, so I'm still working to improve myself, and that will always be true for me. If I ever think I've finished growing, then I'm in trouble. 
in the crypts of Westminster Abbey. Wow, in the crypts of Westminster Abbey, the following words were written on the tomb of an Anglican bishop who lived in the 11th century. When I was young and free, my imagination had no limits. I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change, so I shortened my sights somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew in my twilight years in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family, those closest to me, but alas, that would have, they would have none of it. And now as I lie on my deathbed, I suddenly realize if I had only changed myself first, then by example, I would have changed my family. From their inspiration and encouragement, I would then have been able to better my country, and who knows, I may have even changed the world. People who often experience relational difficulties are tempted to look at everyone but themselves to explain the problem, but we must always begin by examining ourselves and being willing to change whatever deficiencies we have. Critic Samuel Johnson advised that he who has so little knowledge of human nature as to seek happiness by changing anything but his own disposition will waste his life in fruitless efforts and multiply the grief which he purposes to remove. The first person that can make a difference is myself, self-responsibility. In the 17 Indisputable Laws of Teamwork, I wrote about the law of significance. One is, one is too small a number to achieve greatness. I truly believe that no significant accomplishment Excuse me. I truly believe that no significant accomplishments can be achieved by individual effort. However, I also believe that every significant accomplishment begins with the vision of one individual. That person not only possesses the vision, but also takes responsibility for carrying it to others. If you want to make a difference in this world, you must take responsibility for yourself. Taking a look in the mirror. A few years ago, when I traveled to New Zealand to do a conference, I stayed in a hotel in Christchurch in the church. Wow. One evening I was thirsty and started looking for a Coke machine. When I couldn't find one, I saw a door marked staff. I figured I'd go in and see if anyone in there could help me. I didn't find a hotel worker or a drink machine there, but I did observe something interesting. As I approached the door to go back out into the hall, I found that the door had full-length mirror with the word with the following words, "Take a good look at yourself." This is what the customer sees. The hotel's management was reminding employees that to fill their purpose, they need to look at themselves. It's probably a good technique for work stuff. So. Might do that at my home. <laughs> right on my mirror. Back to the book. And that's true for us too. Psychotherapist Sheldon Kopp believes all the significant battles are waged within the self. As we examine ourselves, we discover that what those battles are. And then we have two choices. The first is to be like the man who visited his doctor and found out he had serious health issues. When the doctor showed him his x-rays and suggested a painful and expensive surgery, the man asked, Okay, but how much would you charge to just touch up the x-rays? <laughs> the second choice is to stop blaming others. Look at ourselves and do the hard work of resolving the issues that are causing us problems. If you want to have better relationships with others, then stop, look in the mirror, and start working on yourself. Wow. Uh, I'm done with the chapter now. Uh, thanks for sticking with me. I know that I kind of flubbed up some of the words, but uh, I think this is golden. I actually didn't read this before this recording, so this is all fresh to me. Um, and especially like with this time of my life, uh, I feel like it's very interesting because I'm going through a lot of self-awareness and this just really hits home. Uh, it's called The Mirror Principle yet again. It's uh, from John Maxwell's Winning with People. Uh, such a great book and I'm only two chapters in at this point and uh, I can't wait to read the rest. Uh, 
but it's it's so true and crazy looking back already at some things that I've uh, I've made some mistakes in where I had like a law of attraction toward something that was not good and it was subpar because I just had that set in myself and then also uh, how most of your wars are waged within yourself it's just really big I'm gonna ask uh, these questions there's a uh, five questions it's mirror mirror principle discussion questions uh, maybe you can ask them for yourself and they may help you along with uh, discovering more about yourself through these questions number one if you were to ask family members friends and colleagues which of your practices and habits are causing you more harm than good what would they say if you have the courage really ask them this question how do those factors affect your relationships Wow. That also says, too, that you'll need some good friends and honest friends to actually look at you. I think that'll say something, too, about them. Um, and obviously, you want to learn, but if you can't learn from them helping you, you probably need some new friends, too. Or you need to work through some stuff so they can be honest with you. That's good stuff. Still about yourself at the end of the day, though. Number two, where does personal reflection fit into the mirror principle? How likely are people in our culture to set aside time for self-examination? Explain your answer. When, where, and how long and how often do you examine your character, review your habits, and critique your practices? How can you improve in this area? Well, honestly, just, <laughs> just, just to be wide open here, I didn't look at myself at all for any reason before like a few months ago. And... Uh, it's just so true. Like, we don't think about owning up to what's going on. I did it anyway. I, you know, and it really cut me short in a lot of things in life. I wasn't my best person, and it definitely did affect those around me. It's crazy. Um, you know, now that I'm spending the time and the energy to look at myself, not only is it really great and I'm learning a lot, it's, it's very painful to see where I was growing up and even a few years ago as a uh, young 20-something. Uh, so glad that I'm doing this now. But uh, I definitely encourage you now, if you are if you don't know like your tics and quirks, you know, like and what makes you you, I would highly suggest um, checking that out. Picking up this book would be a good practice. The uh, Myers-Briggs type indicator test online you can do that and also the Enneagram test that was uh, those can tell you kind of natural things about yourself to get you started I remember when I first did that I thought it was mind-blowing absolutely unreal I felt like somebody pegged me like knew exactly everything about me and they didn't even know me and that was a few years ago and then I looked at that recently and I also looked at my Myers-Briggs type and the career choices and different things in the work field um, that are my like natural inclinations and blew my mind yet again it was all fresh um, so I encourage you no matter where you are in life uh, always a good practice question number three how would you describe yourself list your strengths and weakness overall have you experienced more wins or losses in life what do you expect the future to hold how was your past colored how has your past colored your perspective wow how would you describe yourself Man, this is hard for me because I usually just rattle off my test scores from the uh, Myers-Briggs, you know, 
and uh, that's easy to do because it kind of cops out the emotions you know and I say things like I'm charming energetic I'm full of new ideas and I push the status quo you know things like that um, the weaknesses of that <laughs> I try to stay away of uh, aware of and away from but uh, you know toxic me can get really defensive and um, you know be a victim and not own up and make a difference and that's just the start of it there's a lot more for sure um, you know if for whatever reason you're interested in my personal shortcomings I'd love to talk to you about them because I'm still working through them uh, it's very hard you know because when you grow up and you learn to be a certain way and you put that in your psyche and you have to retrain that it's huge it's huge um, definitely working on that um, but uh, being content and uh, confident in myself is definitely places I'm working on and not kind of trying to control situations because I don't trust people to do the right thing. It's a weakness of mine. It uh, leaves the connection out of the relationship because I don't trust people at the end of the day. So, working on that. Number four, one of the knocks against the current self-worth movement is that it encouraged people to think highly of themselves regardless of character or performance. Why is it important to sure self-image is grounded in truth? How can one guard against false pride and still have confidence in himself? Wow. It's loaded. I'm going I'm to read the question one more time because I just, it's a lot. One of the knocks against the current self-worth movement is that it encourages people to think highly of themselves regardless of character or performance. So you just think well of yourself no matter what's going on. Why is it important to be sure of self-image and that it's grounded in the truth. Why is it important to be sure self-image is grounded in the truth? Oh, man. You know, sometimes you can't see the truth when you're just looking in yourself because you deceive yourself. Um, and that's why earlier in the questions he said to ask other people. Um, but you, it's definitely important to have your self-image grounded in the truth so that you can be honest with it and actually work on the truth. If you don't work on the truth, then you won't be working on yourself and you'll be robbing yourself of really the truth uh, cutting corners is no good there and that's just scratching the surface of what this really means how can one guard against false pride and still have confidence in himself how can one guard against false pride and still have confidence in himself I mean I guess honesty and truth and seeing other people's opinion that you trust and that you're close to and actually see you um, and then you actually like look at your strengths and know what those are and then know your weaknesses and be honest about it so just total vulnerability with yourself um and i you know this makes me kind of think of uh confirmation bias is a recent term that i've looked up and confirmation bias is basically like the idea that we only go out and seek information that we want to hear to prove our point so it's confirmation bias. It's all about, okay, I'm going to look this up to make sure that I'm right. So if you think you have a sickness or something like that, and you Google your symptoms that you think you have, and all of a sudden you have cancer, and you're convinced you have cancer or something crazy, you know, that's confirmation bias when really you don't necessarily have that and you're not qualified to really take a look at that. Um, also, if you 
take a Myers-Briggs personality test since we're talking about it and you just say what you think is the right answer and you don't give fair results, you'll get a personality type that isn't yours and you'll try to react on that and you'll have the wrong idea. Uh, if you're not honest with yourself, you won't be honestly working on yourself. Whew. Number five, in what area do you need the greatest growth? Have you taken responsibility for it? What is your plan to improve this area? Have you dedicated resources to it and put it on your calendar? If not, why not? How can you improve in this area? Okay, tons of questions here. But the first thing that jumped out to me is, have you dedicated resources to it and put it on your calendar? That's the one thing, you know, like I didn't do things a lot of times because I'm a guy who likes to put ideas in the air and don't actually follow through with it. So putting it on my calendar, or and for me, this translates to putting it as a reminder in my phone. I'm like living off reminders on my phone right now. If I don't put it in my phone, I will probably forget it. So I have reminders constantly telling me little things in life to do. Um, and it's a good checklist. It's really awesome. And that's what I have to do. My resources to it, uh, honestly, right now I'm, I'm working at a church that has great leadership with self-awareness and leadership. And uh, this is really, uh, for my supervisor, uh, I, I got this recommendation for this book. And I'm so happy that they uh, recommended it to me because it's really, it's really impacting me um, with, this, with the place I'm in right now. Um, so I, I have plenty of resources there with that. And uh, I set aside time to read, and I look up a ton of YouTube uh, videos and podcasts and different things about self-improvement, um, being responsible. Um, shout out to Jocko Willink with the Jocko Podcast and Echo Charles, um, his friend who helps there. They're awesome, and uh, he wrote, uh, Jocko wrote, Extreme Ownership, the book, I have not gotten it yet, but I am stoked about getting that book because it really hits home for me because I didn't have much of any ownership growing up until now. I'm making a difference now. But uh, he has great books. He's a great leader and uh, has uh, terrific insights. And uh, he has a podcast that is uh, really awesome, and I would check that out. So there's good resources there. Um, you know, this day and age... With uh, internet technology and now everything, like it's, there's not really many excuses. Um, you know, we've got. I'm I'm just as guilty as everybody else, but there are a ton of us that are just walking around, thinking about ourselves and being victims and everything that happens to us, and we're so entitled. And I feel like that's part of my generation, um, and it's kind of easy in a way uh, to do that, especially with. I mean, I guess they call it the selfie generation and different labels that I try to avoid. But it's true, you know, there's, it's so easy to just get in a, a zone of feeling like you're some small time entrepreneur that does your own thing and you're entitled to this, that, and the other. And uh, it's just way too easy, you know. Um, I actually heard recently there's a statistic on guys in general, like around the world, just the male population are becoming lazier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just, it's just so interesting. Um, they talked about there's females out there, you know, just in general, females are getting more college degrees than males. And I'm not trying to be sexist at, at all right now, but I just think it's interesting because there's like so many dynamics with that. Uh, you know, and I just feel as a guy that I see that where like I have friends who aren't really amounting up to everything they could be. And I know that I haven't been so far and it's just really sad. But at the same time, like I feel empowered to like, 
do this podcast and uh, not like I'm going to change anybody's world, but I think that one little seed planted of, hey, you know what, you're worth better than what you set your standard at and your subconscious, you can really make a difference by just starting to plug away to see where you can improve. Stop making excuses about your life is this way and you're stuck this way. The only way that your life is going to get better is when you look at yourself in the mirror and you start to make a difference. You own your mistakes and your shortcomings. You recognize them and you work on them. You see your strengths and you explode with them and run out into the world and do all that you're called to do. You know, you are special. You are a person that is called to do your natural gifts and abilities the best you can. And I believe in you no matter who you are. And that's just part of my life. And I'm learning how to believe in myself. And it's empowering. You will be a different person if you take ownership. And I just hope that uh, you're encouraged today. I know that this is a long podcast, about 30 minutes. Uh, you know, if you stuck around for the whole thing, great. If you didn't, whatever. You're not going to get my epic speech here at the end. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you staying by. Um, once again, this is What's Next with Lex podcast. And uh, I will see you next time. Thank you. Bye.